Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. My message is walking away and turning around. Walking away and turning around. My wife uh, Gretchen and I, we have three kids, and they're all teenagers now, uh, which is a little bit scary. Uh, but uh, when they were really young, like between the ages of five and seven, they had this little quirk, this thing they would do. Anytime they would get really mad about something, they would threaten to run away. Anybody's kids do this when they were younger? Just like the big threat to run away. This is about the age that they were when they did this, and uh, so cute. We had no idea what we were in for. Man, if we could get in a time machine and go back and talk to those two parents who had no idea what they were doing and still don't, uh, we would just be like, good luck. Uh, that's probably what we'd do. But they would get so upset about things and run away. And, of course, the things that they would probably set them off were things like they wanted more candy or just candy, period. Someone sat in their special chair, which is just a chair, really. I mean, or someone told them, you know, to put on pants, you know, and something about one of these things would snap them. And it would just set them off. And they would, they would just be like, these are unreasonable requests. I can't live like this. Pants? you got to be kidding me. And they would get so upset and they would threaten to leave. And sometimes these weren't just hollow threats. On occasion, they would actually leave. Uh, my boys would just like walk out the front door. Like they would grab a couple things they thought they were going to need on their journey. And they would do it really loudly. So we knew that they were exiting our lives, Right? They would grab like one cleat, you know what I mean, and a toothbrush and just storm out the door. And it was always kind of funny. You know, they were trying, they were serious about it, and we were trying not to laugh, you know, which just made them even more angry. Um, and I always wondered, like, what are you expecting that you're going to do with these two things? You know what I mean? Like, this is all you need to support yourself for the rest of your life, a cleat and a toothbrush. In their mind, they're just like, I might need to play one-legged soccer. I don't know what's going to happen out there, Okay. I might need to use this as a weapon to defend myself, okay? But whatever happens out there on them streets, I'm going to take care of my oral hygiene, okay? Because I've learned that in this house. It's important. It's important to do. And I got to be honest, sometimes I just let them go. And I, I just kind of wanted to see what was going to happen. And they would storm out. And they had no idea where they were going. They had no destination in mind. Just in their mind, they're like, I cannot take this anymore. I cannot live in this house under these conditions with the, the, the pantsless people that around here. I can't do it. And so they would leave and, and they would walk off. And, and actually, we, we still don't know where one of them is. So if you guys just keep them in prayer, we're still on the lookout and we're hoping the milk carton thing works out. Um, I'm just kidding. They, we always ended up having them come home. But this is the reason why I bring this up this morning. As juvenile as this sort of sounds to us, I understand the feeling. I may not understand in that moment. The, the reasoning may not seem logical to me, but I get the feeling. Because I think even as adults, even in the here and now, we've all had these moments that we were so overwhelmed, we just wanted to walk out the door and never come back. And I bet you have been here where you just wanted to be done. I wonder when the last time you looked around your own life and just thought, in the, the privacy of your own heart, you just thought, like, I, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to be here. Not after what happened. Not with what I know now. Not after what she said. Not after what they did. 
And there's this impulse just to walk. And I think it's often because something in our life catches us off guard. Something happens that we never really counted on. Or something that we were counting on falls through. And when we build our life on something and that something collapses in front of us, I think we all have a moment of losing our bearings. Because there are certain things that when they crumble, they call everything into question. And we think if I can't count on that, I'm not really sure what I can count on. These moments feel apocalyptic. It feels like your entire life is imploding in front of you. And you become sickly aware that what once was will no longer be. And in this moment, you're not really sure what to do or what to believe or who to trust or where to go from here. You're not even sure at times that you know who you are any moment. It is a complete and utter crisis of existence. And I don't know what that moment has looked like for you. Maybe you had this thought in your mind of like, we're going to be together forever. You know, like the way I feel about them is exactly how they feel about me. And we are committed to one another. And then one day you weren't snooping, but the phone was just there. And it went off and something on it looked suspicious. And you confronted them. And they confirmed the thing that you hoped you would never have to face. They're cheating on you. And it was like your whole world caved in. You thought you were, you were financially secure, that everything was okay. That, I mean, it was a tough time, but like you would manage things well. And then they sat you down that one day and they decided to come clean and they showed you how little you actually had left in the accounts and how much debt you were really in. And this panic just invaded your soul. And you didn't know what to do with that. You thought you had so much more life ahead of you. So many more years, so many more memories to make. And then you were sitting in that little white room and the person came in with the clipboard and they, they said that the test came back positive and then they said some other stuff that you don't remember because your entire world just went dark. And you realized that this moment was gonna change every other moment that followed. I think if your heartbreak is heavy enough, you walk. Because it hurts too much to stand still, to just sit there in the pain of that moment. And just like my kids, a lot of times you don't really have a destination in mind. You're just trying to get as far away from the pain as is humanly possible. And if you know this feeling, if you know what I'm talking about, then you know a little something about two of the people that we're going to share about today in this sort of side story that takes place on Easter Sunday. A lot of times when we think about Easter, we think about the main action, and yet there are all these little stories that are sort of taking place around the time of Jesus' resurrection and soon after. And the thing that you may have never considered before is like when Jesus rose from the dead, it's not like it was on the internet. It's not like you could pull up your phone. It's not like everybody knew. In fact, nobody knew. And since nobody knew that Jesus had come back to life, everyone was going about living their lives as if he didn't, including these two people. We're going to pick up reading in Luke chapter 24 this morning, and we're going to put the verses on the screen, but uh, I'm just telling you where it is in case you're like, that sounds fake, and you want to look it up on your own, make sure I'm not lying to you. That's probably good. Luke chapter 24, verse 13 says this, that same day, the, Jesus, the day that Jesus raised from the dead that nobody knew about, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they walked away, 
they were talking about everything that had happened. And what was it that happened? Like, what was the content of their conversation? And this is what had happened to them, specifically. A couple years before, these two guys met a traveling teacher named Jesus, and the way that he talked sort of blew their minds. He seemed like he had something profound to say about almost every aspect of human existence. He made them think about things in a way they'd never thought about before, and they had observed, like, when people did the things that Jesus suggested they do, their lives got better. Jesus healed people. He listened to them. He made them feel seen and valued. And even though these two guys were nobodies, Jesus had this way of making them feel like there was greatness in them. And they started to believe it too. Because of his belief in them, they started to believe in themselves. And they came to actually think that maybe they were going to be able to change the world together. And so they left everything. Their jobs, their families, their friends, their stability to follow Jesus because he was the only stability they felt like they needed moving forward. It was the best time of their lives. And then he was arrested and accused and beaten and brutally murdered in front of them in just a couple days. It happened so fast. And now it was over. Like these guys looked at their life and just thought, my life is over. What do I do from here? I mean, it felt like the sort of thing that when it happens, it's the sort of thing that, that can't happen, that it's impossible. And so it just felt like it, it couldn't be real except that it was. And it felt like their whole world was caving in on itself. And it hurt so bad. And so they did the same thing that most people do when the worst thing they could ever imagine happening happens. They walk. They just start walking. They walk from Jerusalem toward Emmaus. And there's a lot of deep symbolism here, but essentially to walk away from Jerusalem was to walk away from God. That was the temple. That was sort of the center of the, the Jewish universe. It was the place they, they, they came and encountered Jesus. It was the place that they thought that Jesus was going to change everything, and it was the place that they killed him. And so they started walking away because their hope was dead. Their purpose, their dreams, all these things were wrapped up with Jesus and his limp body inside a rented tomb. That's what happened. It was a lot. And so as they're walking along, they talk about it. I mean, they can't not talk about it. It's the only thing they want to talk about, and simultaneously, they don't want to talk about it. But they need somebody else to witness their pain. And then something really bizarre happens. In verse 15, it says this, As they talked, Jesus himself suddenly began walking with them, but they didn't recognize him. So this is what's happening. We, because we're reading from a third-party narrator, we know that it's Jesus, but they don't know. To them, it's just some random guy. Imagining how, imagine how weird this would be to you. You were walking along, your whole life just fell apart. It's just you and your buddy, you're on this road, you're processing some really deep stuff, you're talking, you're crying a little bit, you're trying not to cry, and it's just the two of you, so it's not embarrassing. And as you're walking, you look over your shoulder, and suddenly there's a guy right there. 
And you're like, who? You don't recognize him. You look at the other guy, you're like, maybe it's somebody that he knows. He doesn't recognize him. And now you're starting to panic. You're like, Why, where is this guy? Who is this guy? What is going on? How, how did he even get here with us without us knowing it? Was he like hiding in the bushes, waiting for somebody, and then he just sort of snuck in? Like, why is he here? And why is he creepily eavesdropping on such a private, personal conversation? This guy is the worst. Read the road, buddy. I mean, <laughs> it says in the, the very next verse, verse 17, that the stranger that we know is Jesus asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short. Sadness written across their faces. And then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about the things that have happened here in the past few days. What things, Jesus asked. Jesus, man. <laughs> Hilarious. What things? The things that happened to Jesus. These guys are so mad. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles and, and a mighty teacher, and then they crucified him. So just so we're all on the same page, they angrily tell Jesus the horrible things that happened to Jesus because they don't know it's Jesus. <laughs> and he doesn't tell them who he is because he's a little bit of a prankster, this Jesus. <laughs> and they're annoyed about it. They don't want to have to tell them, and I, and I get that part of it because, you know, as exhausting as some things are to live, they can be even more exhausting to relive. You ever been asked about something? There, like somebody, you're... you're this heavy, the worst thing happened to you. And people are like, what happened? And you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to kill you. I cannot do this with you. I, you're going to have to ask somebody else. I, you should already know by now. This is ridiculous. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to go there. I don't want to unpack it with you. It was hard enough the first time. I don't want to do it again. They go on to say this in verse 21. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. That, that line right there. We had hoped. It breaks my heart every time I, I read it. And that's the line, that's the sentence that, that shifts the conversation from annoyed with his ignorance to agonizing over their own dashed hopes. We had hoped. We got our hopes up. We thought this was it. We banked our whole life on this thing. You don't know how like trusting, how believing, how in we were. We had hope because we don't anymore. In this moment, their, their hope is gone. Their faith is dead. They've walked away. It's over. And yet here's the thing I want you to see. If you get nothing else from this message today. In the moment, they have the least amount of faith in God. Guess who shows up? God. Because the reality of it is, whether you understand this or not, when you walk away from God, he just walks with you. Like no matter how far you think it is that you've walked, God is right there where you are. I think we have this idea that we actually have the ability to run away from God. And you are not that competent. Because God is everywhere. Because God's love is too great to actually let you go. Because no matter where you are, God is there present with you. Whether you recognize him or not. Whether you feel him or not. 
It says in verse 27 that in this moment, Jesus began explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In other words, he starts talking about all these things that these two good Jewish boys had, had grown up hearing about, but they'd never heard him the way he talked about them. And suddenly things that they thought they knew made sense in a different way than they'd ever made sense before. Like when this stranger appeared and started walking with them, they were frustrated and annoyed. They assumed honestly that he was an idiot. How could he not know what has taken place and what was going on? But it turned out he wasn't an idiot. He just had a different perspective. One that they actually desperately needed to hear but almost didn't take time for. And the more he talked, the more they realized that they had completely misjudged him. It says in verse 28 that by this time they were nearing Emmaus and at the end of their journey and Jesus acted as if he was going on. But they begged, stay the night with us since it's getting late. And so he went home with them. I love that these guys, they move from like, ah, this guy is so annoying. I wish he would go away to, oh man, can you just stay a little bit longer? Like just that one hour conversation and they completely changed their perception of this guy. And I think this has happened to you before where you thought you knew what something was before you experienced it and then you actually walked through it or into it and realized you had no idea what you were talking about. You would prejudge something that you didn't know anything about. And I think this happens to the best of us. Our assumptions get in the way of our awareness because we assume we know how something is going to be or what something is or what someone is going to be like, we're not actually aware of what it really is. And sometimes this prevents us from seeing what God wants us to see about life and ourselves and others. And these guys, they have no idea who they're talking to. But the second they decide to set their assumptions aside and pay attention, it sparks something in them that they hadn't felt since the last time they set and listened and learned at the feet of Jesus, but they, they still don't recognize him. Also, I think it's really funny that Jesus pretends that he's got to keep going just so that they'll beg him to stay. Don't pretend like you haven't done this at a party before. Right? We've all done this, right? Where it's like, ah, oh, I should probably go. And they're like, what? It's still early. You should stay and hang out. And you're like, no, I really got to go. And they're like, come on, it's no fun without you. And you're like, okay, I'll stay. You know? <laughs> You, you, really, you were never going to leave. You just wanted them to tell you how much they wanted you to be there. And, and I, I kind of feel like Jesus is doing this because, again, I'll restate it, Jesus is hilarious. It says in, in Luke chapter 24, verse 30, that as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and he blessed it, and then he broke it and he gave it to them. And it sort of sounds like communion because... Uh, this is an act that takes place in communion in the Lord's Supper. But they're really just having dinner. And they're having dinner because they're just, they're tired and they're hungry and they've been walking all day. And also, as it turns out, running from your own pain is really exhausting. Maybe you've realized this. Also, have you ever noticed, it seems like Jesus is always eating in Scripture. What is the deal with this guy in snacks? Like every story, it's like, and he was eating with these people, and then he had dinner over here, and then he got milkshakes with these guys. You know, and you're like, what in the world? That was the message version. But um, <laughs> he's like always eating, and it's not just that he likes food, although he does. It's that that's where the magic happens. 
That's where the good stuff takes place. When you sit down and share a meal with somebody, that's when you get below the surface of just kind of who they pretend to be and you get to the, the reality of who they really are. And Jesus was really only interested in who people really were. And this is still the way it works. This is why like over 2,000 years later, like eating is still sort of the, the pinpoint, the center point of first dates and birthday parties and celebrations and traditions because that's how it works. But the thing that really sort of puzzles me as I read this is, why stop for a meal now? Seems like a weird time. I mean, Jesus just came back from the dead, which is kind of a big deal. It, I don't know if you guys know this. It doesn't happen very often. <laughs> when people die, that's kind of it. It's over. And he comes back to life, and it just seems like he would have a lot of important errands to run. He should be getting the word out, you know. He should be doing other important theological stuff. And instead, he's like, I think I'm going to have dinner with these guys. What? Yeah, this seems like a good time just to stop for like a four-hour dinner. This is a Jewish meal. They last for like half a day. And also, these aren't even A-list disciples. These aren't starters. This is a B team. These guys are coming off the bench. They're working for scale. What in the world? I know earlier when I was reading the story and I said Cleopas, you were thinking like, who's Cleopas? And I got to be real with you guys. I don't know. I never heard of him. I've been studying the Bible my whole life. And I read it and I was like, Cleopas? Like, was Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were these guys all busy? Was their schedule all booked up? They have reservations at a nice place? They want to try some, some new brand of hummus. Like, what is the deal? <laughs> and yet, he's going to dinner with Cleopas. These guys aren't anyone of status. And here's the thing. That's the point. Because this is who Jesus is. Jesus famously invited everyone to the table. In his life and even after his death. Even during moments where we, you and I, would be tempted to keep the circle kind of small, Jesus always looked for an excuse to expand it. In a moment where you'd just be like, listen, Jesus, this is probably just going to be us. Like, even if it was like your grandma's birthday party, Jesus was likely to show up with a prostitute and a tax collector that he met on the way that just seemed like they could use a friend. That's how he was. Because Jesus values people more than you could ever know. He doesn't see humanity the way that you do. In fact, at the very last meal that he eats before his crucifixion, you think about the guest list, he invites Judas the betrayer and Peter the denier. Two guys who are both, in a way, going to stab him in the back, and he knows it, and he invites them to sit with him and share a meal. Most of us would just be like, you know what? Your invite got lost. Sorry. <laughs> it says this, at this meal as they're eating, Jesus breaks the bread. Verse 31, suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And in that moment, he disappeared. And some of you are like, what does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> Here's what's really weird. A lot of like really smart Theologians who have an explanation for everything, you know what they say this is? 
they say that it's actually teleportation. I'm not even going to explain that. I'm just going to leave that there for you. I don't know what I think about that. It's crazy. Jesus just evaporates in this moment. I think it's interesting that it's not until they stop walking and sit down and share a meal that the story completely shifts. It's like as Jesus sits there and breaks the bread, something breaks inside of them. Something feels familiar about this. And this little flicker of familiarity unleashes a flood of sensory memory and they realize who he is. And the way they look at him completely changes. And it feels like as he is handing them pieces of bread, it's not just bread that he's giving them. It's pieces of their own life back. It's pieces of their story that he's giving them back. It's, it's giving them their hope back, their belief back, their confidence back, their friend back. And as soon as they have clarity, as soon as they figure out what is really going on and who he really is, and as soon as they start to put the pieces together of the implications of what they have now just seen, he vanishes. And I think a lot of times this is the way that God does work in our lives. Like God swoops in and for whatever reason, he chooses a specific moment in time to alert you to his presence, which has always been there. You just weren't aware. And in that moment where you realize that he's there and what he's doing and what he's calling you to step into, as soon as it clicks with you and you know what to do, he vanishes. He's like, you got it. You got it from here. Now you know. Do something with what you have seen and heard in this moment. And sitting there, they're stunned. And they feel for the first time since they started walking that maybe their story isn't over. That maybe they're not done. That maybe they're not doomed. That maybe there are more chapters to be written. That maybe, in fact, there is still hope. Verse 32, it says that they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. Within, think about this, within the hour, they were on their way, walking back toward the place they swore to themselves they would never, ever go again. And here's what's fascinating about this. Nothing changed about that place during that time. Nothing. The only thing that really changed in that window was their perception of what God was doing, what God was up to, how powerful God actually was, and how God wanted them to be a part of his ongoing story. Like the whole time this story is taking place, think about this. From the time... They left Jerusalem, which was the darkest moment of their entire life, wounded, broken, and faithless. At the moment they were at their lowest, Jesus had already resurrected from the dead. At the moment they felt the most hopeless, Jesus had already done the thing to completely remove their hopelessness. Jesus had already done the one miracle they needed. They just didn't know it yet. Everything they needed to be put in place, everything they needed God to do on their behalf, he had already done, but they were oblivious. And the second that comes into focus, their situation doesn't change, they change. 
And that's the thing about resurrection. Even though it's true, it won't transform you until you truly put your trust in it. This blows my mind. I think sometimes we think that the resurrection itself is the thing that changes everything. And to a certain extent, that's true. But the resurrection had already happened, and these guys' lives had not yet changed. Here's the updated reality for you. The resurrection happened a long time ago, and some of you have never felt or experienced it. It doesn't matter that it's true until it becomes true for you. That's what changes everything. That's what transforms everything in a person's life. And this is the moment that changes everything for them. Their eyes are open and they realize that the resurrection wasn't just something Jesus did. It's something that he wanted to do in them too. And that's something I hope you grab hold of today. That the resurrection, the ability to bring dead things back to life, to put broken pieces back together, to bring something new out of something old and gone and dead, to allow hope to rise out of a hopeless situation. This isn't just something that Jesus did once. It's something that Jesus wants to continue to do, and he wants to do it for you. Today, in your life, in your relationships, in your situation, and they could feel it, even just walking on the road. Before they even knew it was him, they could feel it. It burned within them. And in that moment, during that meal with Jesus, who had somehow come back to life, they could sense that their deepest dreams were coming back to life. And even though they stopped walking because they were utterly exhausted, their restored hope gave them this surge of unexpected energy, and they... they they began speed walking back to the place where they came from. But one thing was different. They were not the same people that left. It was the same. They were different. And their difference would change that place. And Jesus doesn't even tell them to do this, but they intuitively know they need to because this is how God does things. Contrary to what you may have heard or experienced before, God doesn't guilt us into coming home. He just gently reminds us that we always can. And that's what he's doing on this road. Notice he doesn't condemn these guys. God doesn't condemn the two men who have walked away from God while they're walking away from God with God. Think about that. And the whole conversation is really just him reminding them of who he is and who they are in him and just saying, like, you can keep walking down this road, but it would be so much better if you trusted in me and came home. You don't have to, but you are always welcome. And I'm telling you, it's worth it. And I tell you this because I, I really do believe that there is a stranger that has been walking with you down whatever road it was that got you to this point in your life right here, whether you can see him or not. And I would imagine that even in the midst of your disappointment, there are moments where you still your heart in your life enough that you can feel this, this thing burning inside you. Almost like there is this spark of hope attempting to reignite 
Almost as if Jesus himself is walking beside you, longing to heal you and make you whole and redirect your journey towards something more purposeful and meaningful. And maybe that is a story you've heard before, but maybe you tell yourself, not me, I'm too far gone. Not, not after what I've done, not after what's been done to me. I've lived too much life, I've done too much stuff. But I gotta tell you that in reality, you are never too broken, too sinful, too jaded, or too old for God to gift you a new narrative. That the story that you feel stuck in right now does not have to be your forever story. If it is not what God has meant for you, and if it's a dead end, it's not what he's meant for you, then there is something more. The Apostle Paul says it this way, Romans chapter 10, verse 9. He writes a letter to some of the very first Christian communities, and he says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's by believing that you're made right with God and declaring your faith that you're saved. The churchy word for this is actually borrowed from a Greek military term. It's called repent. And it essentially just means this, to turn around and walk the other direction. To have a moment in which your eyes are opened and you realize that the God you left behind was always with you. That the pain that you ran away from, that as it gets smaller in your rearview mirror, you never really healed from it. Because instead of walking through it, you were walking away from it. And Jesus wants to open your eyes to who he is, to what he wants to do in your life. He wants to give you his comfort, his forgiveness. He wants to turn you and face you in the direction of the future you've always dreamt about and begin walking with you in the right direction. You know, every time I boys ran away from home and they thought that they had escaped me they never really did because I was sneaking through the bushes and along the houses I was right there the whole time watching although they thought they were on their own they were never really alone because their father was there looking out for them and I gotta tell you the same is true of you you may think you have successfully walked away, run away from God. And what you don't understand is that this is an impossible feat. He has been there the whole time. The question is, will you recognize him, acknowledge him, open your heart and your life to him? Will you allow him in your pain, in your brokenness, in your hopelessness to pick you up, to turn you around and to begin carrying you in the direction of the future he has for you. You will only ever experience the healing God wants to give you when you stop hiding from him because he's been with you every step of the way. And this is what I wanna pray into your life today. I think as a Christian on this holiday, I think there's no better thing you could do than to open your eyes to the fact that not only has Jesus resurrected, he wants to 
enact a resurrection in you. Would you just bow your heads and, and close your eyes across this room this morning? There's nothing magical about this. It just helps you focus in this moment. And this is what I want for you. I want true focus. And with your eyes closed, here's what I'm curious about. As I'm talking or the band is playing, maybe there was this sense inside of your own soul, this burning inside of your own heart that you have been walking your own way. And God wants to turn your life around. This is the process of surrender. I think today may just be your day, this Easter Sunday, 2023, where you finally just stop on the road and just say, God, where are you? I need you. You gotta help me. You gotta heal me. You gotta calm my anxiety. You've got to help me work through my pain. You've got to turn me around. You've got to give me the ability to do things I can't do on my own because I've tried. And if you're at this place where you are ready to hand over the keys of your life to Christ, I think it's the best decision you will ever make. I think today may be your moment. And with everybody's head bowed and eyes closed, if that's you today, in just a moment, I want you to just raise your hand I'm not going to embarrass you or call you out. I just want to pray for you specifically today that God would transform everything about you, that the same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead would come to rest in you, not beside you on the road, but inside of you, empowering you every step you take. And if you're in a place today where you want to invite God into your life in this way, would you just raise a hand right now, right now, right now. I see you, I see you, I see you. Here's what's more important, God sees you. He sees you, he's with you. And in this moment, he fully intends to resurrect you. I'm going to pray out loud and give words to all of our prayers. And would you just pray along in your own heart? It doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be real. It has to be sincere. And as I pray in the confines of your own spirit, would you just pray that God would transform you, turn you around, and make you whole. Dear Jesus, I am so incredibly grateful for the gift of your grace and your mercy in our lives. God, we so desperately need you. God, whether we feel like we are meeting you for the first time right now or whether we feel like we have been walking with you for years, in this moment we open our hearts, our lives, our minds to you. We gladly hand you permission to commandeer our life. We've been walking our own way, but now we want to walk with you. And God, we want you to indwell us, to come in and to cleanse our hearts, our minds, to give purpose to our pain, to begin to change us from the inside out. God, in this moment, we claim the resurrection power that raised you from the dead for ourselves. And God, in this moment, I pray that the burning 
that we sometimes sense inside of ourselves would turn into a full-fledged fire as your Holy Spirit begins to ignite within us and as you begin to lead us in the direction that you have always meant us to walk. God, that we wouldn't feel lost and purposeless and alone because we know that you are with us. In fact, you have always been with us. You will never leave us. You will never forsake us. And God, when we open our eyes and when we give ourselves freely to you, you enable us to see what we have never seen before. You enable us to go back to places that we've been before and see them with new eyes. You enable us to go back to relationships that were dead and you enable them to come back to life. God, you enable us to see that we have more chapters to write, such a much bigger story to live. God, it is in you and through you and through the power of your resurrection that we claim new life. We claim ourselves as new creations. And God, we will leave from this place today knowing that we are with you and you are with us, and not just with us, you are in us every step of the way. And if you believe that, would you shout amen? Amen. 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 Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening. And we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.